We've been blessed by this sermon series uh, on the kingdom of God. Uh, we've needed these words of hope and comfort in a time that seems that our world is just crazy. And it is going to get crazier. Uh, we have no idea, as Jonathan said, what it will be like on Tuesday. And so we just need this time of refocusing of hope and comfort that God is in control, that God rules the nations. Uh, I can only speak for me, but I need that reminder. I need that reminder of, uh, that we have a dual citizenship, that we are a citizen of this nation, but also we are a citizen of the kingdom. So how does that interpret to the places that we go and the people that we see? We are a representative of God in all of these areas. You see, we have this one and only life that we can make a positive influence for the kingdom. In our sermon series, we've talked about that influence of the kingdom, what it means for our family, what it means in this church, what it means as we infiltrate the community. Today we get very personal. Today we get to talk about a topic that we don't really like to talk about. We're not comfortable about talking about this. But it's the topic of how you and I are just passing through uh, this life. Maybe you've been at a funeral. And the speaker there that's talking about the person, uh, he talks about or she talks about uh, a date of a birth. And he names that date. And then they talk about the date of the funeral. And they name that specific date. And that speaker begins to talk about the dash that's in between that date of birth and that date of death and how we're living in between, that we're living in the dash. We don't like to talk about death, but death is a part of, of life. Uh, there'll be a moment in time that you and I, we will breathe our last. When that moment comes, uh, what will be said about us? What will be our legacy? More importantly, what will Jesus say about us as we stand before him on that judgment day? Will he say, well done, good and faithful servant? Or will there be a sadness, will there be a quietness where we realize that we missed, missed an opportunity of what this life could count for, for his kingdom? Every funeral that I have conducted, it's been a privilege for me. A time to celebrate a life. And as I think about those times, uh, there have been times that uh, I celebrated lives of loved ones, friends that are part of this congregation. But I've been called by a funeral home or by someone else and they said, would you conduct this funeral service for this person. And again, I count it as an honor. As I do in every circumstance, every opportunity, I call the family in. We sit around our table and we just ask the question, uh, tell me about that person's life. And as we sit around that table, sometimes there is just a sadness, a quietness, because they don't know what to say. Uh, they begin to talk about uh, maybe a vacation that they've had together. Maybe they talk about a hobby. Maybe they talk about the work of this individual. Uh, they talk about those kind of things, and they never get around to talking about the relationship uh, that that person had with Jesus Christ. And that just hurts my heart 
And there's just a sadness there. As I think about the length of time that person had as they were living in between the dash, the in-between times, and what it could have counted for. I'm not judging it because it calls into an account my life. Because as I sense that sadness there in my heart, I never want there to be a doubt among my family. Those that love me and I love them. That when they sit around the table, when my time comes, of what's important in Bill's life. You see, for me, when my time comes, I don't want much said about me. But I want so much said about my Savior. Why? Because for us as believers, Jesus defeated death. We are only passing through this life. You and I, we have had our date of birth. You and I, we don't know when that date of death will come. We are living in the in-between time. We are living our own dash. So, we understand that this life of ours is really only a dress rehearsal for eternity to come. I do not want my life wasted on things that do not matter. I want God's kingdom to be enriched and for His good because God gave me this opportunity to live life. I want this moment of time that He has given me to have been worth the chance, worth the investment, worth the creation that God has done for me. There's a story in the book of Haggai that's very relevant. That's so much our story, I believe. It's, it's in this book, that, the book of Haggai, that centers around the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, they had been living in Jerusalem. Uh, they were overtaken by the nation of Babylon, and they were taken into captivity to that foreign nation. In Haggai, the book tells a story of the rebuilding of the temple. But it has an underlying theme that says, what is ahead of you is better than what is behind you. What is ahead of you is better than what is behind. While the book of Haggai talks about temple rebuilding, it also gives us a forward look of our hope that the best for you, the best for me, is yet to come. So here's what's happening in this Old Testament book of Haggai. Jerusalem had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar in 587 B.C. With the destruction, the temple had been desecrated, it had been demolished, and it had been left in ruins. The Hebrews living in the southern kingdom of Judah were taken away to Babylon. Seventy years after being taken away to Babylon, there's a ray of hope. Because God turned the heart of King Cyrus now, the king of Babylon, um, to follow through uh, with allowing the Hebrew children to return. He made a decree, and King Darius followed through with that decree. Uh, God also turned the hearts of the Jews who had returned from exile back toward the, the temple. So it's only a God thing that this has happened that this foreign nation king turned their heart toward the Hebrews. And now the Hebrews are turned toward uh, Jerusalem and the temple. It was truly that only God thing. 
So Haggai was a voice saying, okay, folks, it's time for you to rebuild this temple. Interesting enough, the word, the name Haggai means uh, my feast. We're going to see that. So a delegation of 50,000 uh, made the 900-mile trip to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. They got to work, and initially, God's big thing, the rebuilding of the temple, was their big thing. They were all in, and the Hebrew people assembled in Jerusalem. I want you to notice the oneness, unity that was going on in the hearts of uh, these Hebrews as they started this work on the temple. It's going to be on the screen. In your Bible, it's Haggai 1, verse 12. But let's look and see. It says, Then Zerubbabel, son of Shatil, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant, the whole remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, and the people feared, meaning they reverenced the Lord. You see their unity. You see their desire. Now, despite the enemies that were around them from the different nations, the Israelites rebuilt the altar of the Lord in the temple. And they practiced sacrifices, it says, morning and night to the Lord, rebuilding uh, the altar. Outsiders tried to infiltrate, infiltrate uh, tried to discourage these temple builders, but the Jewish people maintained their resolve. They stayed focused on God's big thing, rebuilding the temple. They made God's priority their priority. But then after a few years, uh, they grew weary. Perhaps the building of the altar temple was tiresome. Uh, perhaps the constant criticism of others was annoying. More likely, the idea of building their own homes of building their own businesses, building their own lives distracted them. Sound familiar? So little by little, one by one, person by person, they turned away from the building of God's temple. And God's big thing became their small thing. They began to concentrate their efforts on building their own Homes, building their own businesses. You can almost hear the voices as they were saying, uh, we'll get back to that building, uh, but first we've got to build this farm. We'll get back uh, to that building, but first we've got to build this business. I'll get back to building that temple, but first I've got to build this life of mine. Surely next week, surely next month, surely next year, uh, or some other time, that's when I will get back to the temple construction. And before they knew it, 16 years had come and gone. And no work had been done on the temple. 16 years. That's a long time. That's plenty of time for grass to grow in the fields to feed uh, the cat, their cattle. It's plenty of time. Listen to this. For a generation of Jewish children to look at the forgotten, incomplete construction project of the temple and think to themselves, well, the temple must not be important to our parents. Therefore, it's not going to be important to me as well. 
Meanwhile, as God's house deteriorated, the houses of the people, the Jewish people flourished. They lived in their panel houses that you can read about in this Old Testament book. These former exiles of Babylon built their own businesses. They built their own enterprises. And Scripture says they grew more and more miserable every day. Folks, while Haggai's message deals with the physical, physical construction of the temple in Jerusalem, I don't think... I don't think it is a far stretch to make a connection of the image of the construction of the temple that we are called to build. The temple of our life as we live in the dash. You see, in 1 Corinthians 6, Scripture is clear that our body, this life, is His temple. How does that happen? It happens like this. Once we decide to make a decision to follow Jesus as Savior, for Him to be Lord of our life, then God's Spirit comes and lives and dwells inside us. That's what it says in Scripture. The Holy Spirit is given to the believer as God's pledge of the believer's future inheritance in heaven. And the Holy Spirit resides in us. Therefore, we are to honor God with our bodies and with our life. This temple of ours, this life, this body of ours is God's temple. As you look in 1 Corinthians 6, you realize that Paul used the word temple in order to identify the Spirit's dwelling in our body. Why didn't he use the word house or home or residence? Why through the direction of God did Paul use the word temple? Well, the word temple is to describe the Spirit's dwelling. It gives the idea that our bodies are the shrine, the sacred place in which the Spirit not only lives, but is worshipped, revered, honored. That means for us that we need to behave, that we need to think and speak, because we need to allow those things that come into this temple of ours to be only the good God-honoring things. It's important for our every thought, every word, every deed. Uh, it's of utmost importance. So if our body, this life of ours, is that temple, then the message of Haggai is to ask ourselves, are we not living like the people, people of Haggai's time? Maybe for us, we're like them. Because at first, we get real excited about the construction of this temple as we begin our faith journey. I mean, we are so on fire, and we begin this journey of faith, but then all of a sudden we turn our attention away, away from what we are called to do. We meant well. We started off strong, but then came the kids, the promotion, the work, the studies, the transfer, the long hours, the business trips, the time crunch of life. 
And with each passing day, God's work on the temple becomes less and less important. And our work becomes more and more important. Because prayers become rote and routine. Worship becomes a chore and all about a convenience. Tithing becomes tipping. We don't forget God. We just don't think about Him much anymore. And this life of ours just slips away day by day, month by month, year by year, and we live in between. I've done that. What about you? Can you relate to the story of Haggai's day? And could it be that God is telling us what God told them? Make my big thing your big thing. Stay the course in building this temple. Haggai gave them instruction in chapter 1, verse 8. It's going to be on the screen. This is what Haggai said to the Hebrew children. And here's what it says. Go up into the mountains. Bring down timber and build a house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Those are strong words, aren't they? Go up. Bring down. Build the temple. Haggai is calling for repentance. Haggai is asking the people for an about face in the direction that they were currently heading. Repentance in its simplest definition is just a 180 degree turn. An about face. God through Haggai was saying stop the selfish pursuit. Return to building my temple. I think about those words of Haggai, at least for Bill's life. I became a follower of Christ when I was age 10. I wish I could tell you that since that time that I have been an on-fire Christian, on target, dedicated to growing my faith in the Lord. If I told you that, it would be so untrue. I have been on fire in a season, but then I've also know how my heart is just stone cold. I have been focused, but there are times that I've been distracted. I have been faithful, but I've also been cynical, uncaring. I've been strong in my faith, but I have to confess I've been weak in my faith. For me, I've had to learn the meaning of repentance, of doing an about face, of coming back to the Father, of getting my priorities straight once again of making God's big thing my big thing. Every one of us, we can identify with the ebb and flow of how we can be white hot for the Lord at one moment and then realize that the fire is just gone. And in all honesty, it's easy for us to see ourselves as a people of Haggai's time. Can I share with you some personal experience of what I have found in my repentance of my turning back to the Lord? I found that when I come back to Christ, He is waiting with open arms. You see, for me, I have returned, I've repented, I've had to do that work more times than I care to admit. Yet every single time I've done this, done that, here's what I've found. I have found that Christ is there waiting for me. 
Every single time I've returned, I've found His grace, His riches, His riches, His mercy. Every single time. Every since the time I said yes to Him. All the way back to 1964. Every single time I've returned, I've found His love abundant and His grace sufficient. There's not a time... Not a time that I've repented and come back and made that decision to come back to my Savior where I've said, uh, I just want to walk closer to Jesus where he said, sorry, Bill, you missed your chance. There's not a time that I've come back and I've said, I'm going to read my Bible more, that he has not had a specific word just for me. There's not a time that I've decided to have a, have a deeper life of prayer where he has said, him, said to me, uh, you're out of luck, Bill. Because you're not welcome in my presence. There's not a time that I've come back to him where I've stepped out to come to receive communion where he said, uh, Bill, you missed your window of time. You're out of luck, buddy. You need to go get your act together. Then come back and we'll talk about it. Folks, every time when I've come back to Jesus, I've found that his arms are not crossed. But his arms are open just like they were on the cross. Open wide to receive those who come back to him with open arms. Is that the message that you need to hear today? Because there may be a time in your life where you will wonder, is God's grace sufficient? Have I outsinned his love? There may be a time in your life uh, that you may wonder, have I gone too far? Is there a place for me at His table? My prayer for you is I have found for me. You just trust the grace of God. And you'll begin the reconstruction project of your life and the temple of your life as you make God's big thing your big thing. The New Testament version of Haggai's story is prodigal son in Luke 15. And Jesus told that story about a son who asked for all his inheritance. He went to a far land, but pride kept him away. And he came to his senses as he realized he was eating the very slop of the pigs that he was overseeing. That's what the people of the days of Haggai did. They came to their senses. They said in their own way, I'm, I'm coming home. The children of Israel in Haggai's time went home. And much to their credit, uh, after Haggai t told them, you need to go up, you need to bring down, you need to rebuild the temple, what did they do? They got to work. They returned to God's big thing. And because they did, here's what God promised to them. Not only the presence and the promise, but they were able to rebuild that temple in four years. And it's found in Haggai 2, verse 6. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. 
I wonder, is he doing that now? I will shake all nations. Hmm. And the desired of all nations will come. Looking toward Jesus. And I will fill this house, that temple, this temple with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. When this life of ours, when this moment of time that we have called life is over, what will be said about our life? How will we be remembered? What will Jesus say about how we lived and represented Him? It was at my mother's graveside that this truth of life was shared. I don't know how many times I've shared it, but I give it to you. The truth of life is this. There's no living in love without some sorrow, but the greatest sorrow is not to have loved. And I don't know how many times that I have stood in a cemetery where we've celebrated a life and I look at all the tombstones, the marble, and all of it dots the hillside. And I haven't remembered what C.H. Spurgeon said about life. Maybe about building this temple. Because Spurgeon said, a good character is the best tombstone. Those who loved you and were helped by you will remember you. So carve your names on hearts and not on marble. We're just passing through. We have one moment in time called life. Let us leave no doubt of what's important to us. As we leave this earth to those that we loved and loved by. I just hope that for our life, that maybe those behind us, they can say the same things about us as those that we find and read about in Hebrews 11, that our name would be part of their and the writer of Hebrews said this. All these people. All these people, they were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. They were longing for a better country 
my heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. I have to think about Jesus with his disciples. On the last night, knowing that he was transitioning and making a move, and the reason that he had come to this earth, a great commission for you, for us, for them. And in that room with those that he loved so much, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after the meal, he took a cup. This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And I'm hard-pressed to think about the gift that he gave. And for me not to think seriously about how I am using and investing this life of mine for his kingdom. Will you pray with me? Lord, we ask, uh, allow this bread and cup to be for us your body and your blood. Help us think about, as we receive communion, how we're living in the dash and the in-between time. Forgive us for our mistakes and sins, but thank you for always welcoming us back as we repent and come running back to you. It's in the sweet name of Jesus I pray. Amen.